Amen. So, over the summer, we're going to be looking at um, the Old Testament prophets. And some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, why are you looking at the Old Testament prophets, Ian? Well, I think they have something relevant to say, because sometimes we get very passionate about the New Testament. And I get very passionate about both, hopefully, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I just thought it would be a fantastic idea for us to look at Joel. Now, Joel is, in actual fact... um, He's called the prophet of the Holy Spirit. He's actually called the prophet of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be looking at uh, these three chapters. They're just three chapters. That's all they are. Now, a prophet, by definition, is someone who sees things around him and he looks and he sees and he receives a message from God and he passes it on to God's people. And it says in verse 1... The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Now, all we know about Joel is his father. We've got no historical events to pin it to, like some Old Testament books that we know. But what we do know is the style in the way that it was written. And we can say that Joel is very similar to Amos, and to Jeremiah, and to Jonah, and other uh, Old Testament minor prophets. Now... You say, but Ian, that's all well and good. But this book in the Bible was written in 835 BC, before Christ. But Ian, you say, but I live in 2018. Just a minute, I have enough problems in life trying to communicate in my life today that the Bible is written by God through men and women to actually speak to us today. And you say, but Ian, how can I explain this to someone? And I want you to come with me and just to see that in this book, there are, if you like, Joel is prophesying to the people in his day, but his word is still relevant for us today and will continue to be relevant for people in the future. And if you have a look at Joel chapter 1, you will see that Joel actually has a big problem. Now, he is both a prophet... And he is a priest. And many of you will know that there is something called the Ark of the Covenant, which goes back to Exodus. And I'll refer to Exodus in a moment. But Joel is in a calamity and in a catastrophe. And those of you who have just read uh, those words on the screen and actually have got the text in front of you can actually see in verse uh, 9 that the priests are mourning. You can also see that this story needs to be told generation after generation. And there's a reference to drunkards. There's actually a reference to uh, these uh, locusts that actually have stripped off the bark. But also there are other problems as well. And if you read in verse 9, the grain offerings and the drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. And I believe that's a key verse for Joel. For he's actually saying, look, I'm a priest, but I'm also a prophet. And we have a problem where these locusts have devoured the nation's uh, economy, for putting it another way. They've actually ravaged through grain. They've ravaged through the vineyards. And there is a catastrophe. And the sense of mourning. This is not a national mourning over a king or a queen. This is a mourning 
that is actually being brought about. And the question is, where does this destruction come from? And some people say this is God's judgment. Others would say it's a natural disaster. But I just want us to focus on Joel's words, because these are Joel's words to his people. And he says, the grain offerings and the drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. But Ian, why are you getting so excited about those words and pointing them out to us? Well, if you have a look, please, if you've got a Bible in front of you, at Exodus chapter 29 and 38 to 42, there is a connection between a priest, the people, and God. So if you turn back to the sticky pages, way, way, way back in Exodus 29, and I want to read this to you. It says, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. So thinking about the locusts that have ravaged the nation of Judah, this is what Joel, to, if you like, comply with the regulations that God has written down for him. He says, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs, a year old, offer one in the morning and the other at twilight with the first lamb. Offer the tenth ephah of the fine flour mixed with the fourth of, of a hin of oil from the pressed olives. And remember, the locusts have ravaged the vineyards and the olive trees and the palm branches. And a fourth of a bin of wine as a drink offering. So the sacrifice and the other lamb okay, at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, and a pleasing aroma, and an offering made to the Lord by fire. And this is what Joel cannot do with his priest. And the nation, the people of God, cannot do. They cannot offer their sacrifices because of the locusts. And verse 42, it goes on to say, For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly in the entrance to the tent of meeting, before the Lord. So there is an atonement for sin. We know the Old Testament practices were that the priests would make these offerings on behalf of the people. So the people recognised and they thought to themselves, well, they cannot do this. And they are in this sense of mourning. You've got the whole nation literally crying out to God. And then it goes on to say, finally, there in that tent of meeting, I will meet you and speak to you. So the Jews were aware that in actual fact, this is a practice that they had to comply with. And in Joel chapter 1, we actually read that in actual fact, if you read through, you actually will see that, I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but actually it says in my Bible um, that even the cattle moan. You've got them there in verse 18. And you've got these seeds that are shriveled beneath the clods. That's the clods of earth. The streams are dried up. So there is a huge problem in chapter 1. There's a barrenness. And it's all brought about by these locusts. And so this is the word of the Lord. And this is what Joel actually does. In verse 14 he says, Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God. And here it is. And cry out to the Lord. And cry out to the Lord. That's what everybody has to do. This is Joel's words for Judah 
at that time. So there was a brokenness. There were the locusts. And there's a phrase that Joel sometimes used, and other prophets from the Old Testament do. There's a warning. There is a day of the Lord coming. There is something that's going to happen in the future. But Ian, this is now back in 835 BC. This is the word of the Lord then. Let us move on to the idea of brokenness. Now, some people actually would say, looking through different uh, commentaries and things, that just these three chapters were sometimes used actually in the temple. And the first 11 verses almost go on to repeat. And it says, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm of my holy hill. And they have the appearance of horses that gallop along like cavalry and with the noise like that is that of chariots. So it's very real. It's not a made up story. These locusts, it was an event that really happened. And I love this idea that, that there was a crackling fire consuming stubble like a mighty army drawn up for battle. But you say, Ian, that's a lovely word to describe. But just in this uh, land of ours, just a little while ago, were there not uh, heath fires, if not going on today? And we were praying for those to try and put those heathland fires out, that crackling of the fire. And so it is, this whole idea, in chapter 2, this whole idea of brokenness. Again, let's just think about it. This word was given to Joel to pass on to the people of God. And he then says to this priest and to this prophet, he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Okay? With fasting and weeping and mourning. And we know that the Jews would sometimes, after um, a bereavement of a family member, they would rend their clothing. They would rip it from the top to bottom. But God is saying, through Joel, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, he is compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. We believe today as Christians that we understand that God is a gracious, loving God. For we can return to God any time. And as one person prayed today, we can pray to God in the supermarket. We can pray to God at work or at home. And it's a wonderful thought that God sees our heart. He sees our practice on Sundays. He sees our practice during the week. He sees us 24-7. But we have a gracious and a loving God. And then it goes on to say, the turning point for me is in uh, Joel chapter 2 and verse 18. And it says, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. Down through the ages, God has spoken to us through the prophets for those that see and hear from God. And it will continue to happen in the future, I believe. And this idea that one day we will all face judgment. Oh, Ian, just a minute, that's not right. Well, it's true. Whether we have another faith in Islam, in Christianity, or no faith at all, we are all going to be judged. I mean, I used to be teaching my GCSE students. Oh, that was the one phrase that really got them all going. As if to say, 
really? And I said, yes. If you want to get a good GCSE A star, you write down. You might not believe it at the moment. So I didn't waggle my finger, actually. I was getting carried away. But I used to say to them, yeah, that's what Christians believe. There is one God who is going to be judging all. But he is a gracious, loving God. And that is for us. Verse 25 in uh, Joel chapter 2, it says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. For the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the other locusts will swarm. And it is true, I believe, that when we call out to God, when we cry out to God, in one sense, we know that there is the, the prayer of the sinner's prayer. But sometimes prayer can just be crying out to God, Lord, help me, help me move on in my current situation, wherever I am. And this is the promise that Joel gives to us. In verse 25, it says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. If we ask God and we come to him for forgiveness, then he will make us whiter than white because Jesus died on the cross to save everyone. And that's an open invitation to you and to me this morning to come to Christ for the first time or to come back to God today. And what a message that is that Joel is sending out. And it goes on to say, in verse 28, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Wow, here is a prophet actually in 835 BC saying, look, there's something going to happen. And Peter, does he not in Acts when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost? And brought about the, like, the new covenant. However, God's Holy Spirit was still moving in and through the Old Testament. We have to see that there is a connection between the Old Testament and the new. The same Spirit of God is moving throughout history and time. And so when you next read Acts chapter 2, and it comes to Pentecost next year, just maybe you'll think back to Joel's words. And Joel's words are, we can just cry out to God at any time. And I think that's wonderful. Isn't it interesting? Have you ever thought, having actually told all of us that we were evangelists about a few weeks ago when we looked at the purpose of the church, I wonder if you've ever seen yourself as being a prophet. Ooh, ooh, that's scary, Ian. But yeah, how about it? Can we see things? Can we hear from God? Are we able to pass on a message, not only to the church, to the nation? Is God raising up prophets, again, to speak his word in our time, in our generation? Because that's what Joel did. He actually spoke what he saw. And what he saw was a God of love and forgiveness. And finally, I want to just come to, if I may, in Joel chapter 3. It says, In those days, and at that time, when I restore fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
Now, the Jehoshaphat, looking at all the, the uh, commentaries, also can read the Kidron Valley. And in the city of Jerusalem, just outside uh, the city wall, you can actually walk alongside the Kidron Valley, which hasn't got very much uh, water, probably travelling through it at the moment. But it goes down from the Mount of Olives through to the, the uh, Dead Sea. And it's called the Wadi Enar. It's called the Fire Wadi. And it's interesting to think that it's also called um, where God judges. And so we can actually go there. If I was to take you on a plane, I can't, but if I could take you all to Jerusalem, we could stand on the Mount of Olives and we could actually just see the valley of the Kidron Valley, the valley of Jehoshaphat. And it's the place of decision. It's a place where we're always making decisions of what to do, where to go, who to talk to. But this morning, there's a decision for all of us to hear Joel's word of those invitations so that we can be walking through a barren world. We are, know that we are broken, but we know that we love Christ, that we know him as our Lord and our Saviour, but also we want to be a blessing to others. And thinking about this sort of source of the Kidron Valley, of the river that goes through, it's actually called the Gihan, it's called the Gusha, it's called the fountain, and that's where it actually starts. You can actually find the source of the, uh, uh, the valley water, the stream that goes through the Kidron Valley, which is quite beautiful. But this morning, this is the word of the Lord from Joel, not from me. It's an invitation to see that we live in this barren world, that we are broken people, but yet we are a people that are restored in Christ through Jesus Christ, and that we might be used in a prophetic way. I said at the start of my talk, the natural fact, Joel was a prophet of the Holy Spirit, and he spoke at a time, and we are able to speak at a time like this in 2018, and witness to Jesus Christ, because we know where we have found the bread. We know that he is our Lord and our Saviour, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, or it's at home, or wherever we are, we want to be used to speak prophetically into a world that doesn't know Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for Joel's words. We thank you, Lord, that he spoke at a particular time and place. Lord, take us and use us as a church to speak prophetically, to speak lovingly, to speak of a knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, realising, Lord, that there are things that are going on that we are not in control of. Lord, just help us to cry out to you today, to ask you, Lord, to help us to understand your love, your abounding mercy, and your everlasting forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.